Welcome to People's Church Podcast. Today we close up the campaign. The campaign has been about God's word. It's not so much just taking a portion. The objective of this was to get us to a place where we can really handle it with the respect, the ability that we need to, and uh, with outcomes that are good. I think that you've been well taught in this campaign when it comes to the material. But now we come to not the material, we come to the final part, which is really application. And that's all on you. What we talk about today is all on you or all on me. Everything before that we share in principle and truth. But where it goes from here, you and I have complete control of. We always have had, but it's good to know it. And it's good to be in touch with the importance of taking something into action. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're really my followers. Then you're really my disciples. He said, you have to continue in it to really even be called a follower, to be a disciple. So he's speaking about this application model, this application model. The word that comes up is the word integrate. And we're gonna be using that word a little bit today. It's a word that, uh, and I think you know what integration is. It's the opposite of segregation. By the way, segregation means just, just to separate into groups. And, and uh, when you separate your life into these little segregated compartments, this is not integration. The Word of God is meant to be integrated into every aspect of our lives. You, when, when you take the pieces of the pie of your life and you say, here's my personal life, here is my church life, here's my business life, and over here is my sex life, here's my social life. When you treat your life with that kind of segregation, you are really destroying the power of application. And you are in response to pressures only in those areas. You are somebody that is going to walk more in confusion and also, by the way, being motivated and manipulated by things that you shouldn't be. You don't have an, in, 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 an integrated life. Which is really the base word of integrity, really, right? So integrity is the integrated life. You don't act one way with a group of people over here. And then another way over here. You don't act different at home than you do at church or at church, different from the way you do at work. That just is a sign of great immaturity in our life. And the word of God has this power to mature us, but how it matures us is only through a process of integration. You can't take the word of God and segregate it to one area and mature as a believer. So you can't even take it to your mind and say, I'm going to learn all of these principles. And now you feel you're mature because you've upped your knowledge base. It's not your knowledge base that directly correlates with your maturity. It is your practical action base. It's the pragmatics of how you live what you know. And when you integrate the word of God into every area of your life, maturity will just be a result of that process. Today we lack these kinds of maturity in the Christian faith around the world. Around the world. 
I'm always amazed when I go and visit some third world countries which we have worked in as a church and how often what happens in these countries is they take the extreme doctrines uh, or the extremities of that which might not even be doctrine anymore but in the Bible basis and they will take it and they will make that the main theme. For instance, you know, there's places in Africa where their whole theme is all about, you know, uh, being uh, successful, prosperous. And what they did was take the extremes of this prosperity type doctrine and then become hugely imbalanced. And you find that people are more not maturing, but actually making permanent immaturity in their life that God can't even get to the building in their life. Integration is the beginning of maturity. Now, how in the world do you actually get this underway? Well, nothing happens without your desire first. Desire is the basis. If you really desire strength, you desire maturity, which are synonymous in this sense. Well, if you really desire it, then there's ways to really make that happen. Psalm 119 verse 20 CEV version says, what I want most of all, in other words, number one priority, what I really would like, and at all times, it's not just church times, but at all times, is to honor your laws. Now David is the one talking here, King David, and he is, he is saying, here I want to be a man of the word. I want, I want to be predictable about this. I want to be predictable at work. I want to be predictable at home. I want to be predictable at church. I want to be predictable in my hobbies, in my sports groups, in my circles. I want to have a predictability. And he's saying, I want to be the kind of person that honors your laws at all times and in all places. I want my life to be led and guided, directed by the word of God. How you do that is six very simple steps. Build, feed, live, grow, act, trust. Now, these six steps we're gonna to cover today, these are just principles from scripture that work for everything that you wanna mature in. So let's say you wanna mature your relational components. You have to go through the same things. Let's say you wanna mature your economic components. You have to go through these same six things. Let's say you want to mature your own purposes and understandings and your directions in life, you have to go through the same six things. Let's say you want to bring change to some areas of your life that you know are really hurting in areas that you just want to, you need to move on from. You have to do these same six things. So we're going to look at these six things, but these are applied in every aspect of our life. In Exodus 23, well, let's start here first. The first thing I'm going to do if I'm going to become this kind of integrated person is that I must build on it. The word build. You must build on it. The word of God. You can't, it can't just be a knowledge. Having knowledge is not the action of building. Having knowledge is only gives you the potentials you're willing to enact. Would you agree with that statement? Having knowledge about anything. Having knowledge about the condition of your health is only as good as your willingness to build on that, to take action based on that. In Matthew 7, which we memorized recently, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It was one of our memory verses. The rock of truth. 
And the difference is truth doesn't have this change component within it. Opinions change all the time. Opinions are what the world runs on, by the way. But then when the storms of life do come, when trials, they do come, if your life is based on opinions, you're going to find that you are extremely uh, fragile and your foundation begins to crumble. But if it's on the rock, truth that doesn't change. If you're building on that, then when the sure storms do come, you're not blown around. You're not going to crumble. You're, you're able to absolutely stand and find your way forward because of the strength that you are based on. Shifting sands destroy you. Rock gives you an opportunity to move forward even in storms. I need to say first off, God, I'm going to build my life on the book, the Bible. I, I, I might not even always understand it. In fact, I might even struggle very much with what it says at times. In fact, I do struggle with it very much in what it says at times. I don't like everything it says about marriage or sex or, or I don't like everything it says about relationships or forgiveness. I don't like everything it says about money. That's your opinion. But if you are going to actually move forward, you have got to build on this book. The power of this book from generation to generation over more than 2,000 years because the Old Testament existed before, of course, the apostles' time. But now with the completion of the truth of God in the Bible that I hold here and that you hold, we have the abilities to absolutely stand in the midst of things that change. So you've got to be a builder. Popular culture is one thing you don't want to build on. Let's look at some things you do not build on. You, it, it, yet this is the, the thing people build on a lot today is popular culture. Huge amount of building on popular culture today. With popular culture, you've got such movement in your life. It's, it's Exodus 23, 2. Don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. It's saying that you're going to always have this kind of pressure. And that culture means pressure. And that means that you're getting a pressure that's harmonized through the gates that you like. Like your entertainment gates. Like your relational gates. Like your work gates. All of those gates provide culture and opportunity to pressure you into living your life based on their ever-changing opinions of truth and how you need to build your life. Popular culture is something that you can never trust for building. That should be pretty obvious in our second day. Second is you don't want to build on tradition. Now, tradition is sort of this attitude, I do it because I've always done it. It's circular reasoning. It ends up at the same starting point. And so what you are is that it's sort of like, you know, my parents did it, my grandparents did it. And when it comes to your faith in Christ, if your Bible's going to be alive for you, it's not because it was alive for your mom. If the Bible's going to be alive for you, it's not because it was alive for your grandparents. It's going to be alive for you because you are doing the things to integrate it into your life. 
and you are building it into your own life. Often though, and this is what we heard a little bit in the testimony with Dalen, is that we are building on a tradition. The parents are dragging me to church. I then end up dragging my kids to church. Rather than actually, and I'm not, you get them here. But on the other hand, understand that they have to find something that's unique and powerful to them. Tradition isn't, isn't bad. It, in fact, it becomes tradition because it works. But no tradition lasts forever. And when generations pick up traditions around scriptures, you know, my mom and dad, they always had on our kitchen wall a scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 4, 5. So on that, I would always look up from the kitchen table and see this plaque with that in there and the inscription. And by the way, that's locked and loaded in here. Now that's a good thing. But if that scripture is only as live as the kitchen wall when I was a kid growing up, that's tradition. But if I've lived it, that's life. If I've integrated it into the way I make my decisions, if I've integrated it into, the, into my responses in life, now it's taking on the life it's supposed to take on. Tradition is something that will wear out. It becomes obsolete and it's not valid anymore. Some of you, your, your, your uh, relationship with the Bible is still on the kitchen wall of the homes you grew up in. That's not where it needs to be. Mark 7, 8, Jesus said, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. I know a lot of churches that are in that trap. So that the fresh things that God wants to continuously revitalize, taking the same scriptures, taking the same truths, but making them alive to each and upcoming generation, cannot find footing because the previous generation traditions have been that which are driving the new generation. And I'm not faulting the previous generation, I'm faulting you and your generation. You have to take up that. You have to put it alive in your home and in your family. It has to be you that's doing that. Don't put tradition before truth. Third thing that you don't want to build on is don't build your life on simply reason. The ability to reason. Reason is reasonable. In fact, God gives us the ability to reason, but sometimes what you think is reasonable is not actually right. Phrases like this, well, I've always thought, only leads you down your opinion. Your reason is going to fall short. What matters is what's right to do in the circumstance. When I rely on my own intellect, when I do what I've always thought, what seems reasonable to me, and I speak to some of you that are, that are you know, kind of that mind and the ability that, uh, to take problems and sort and think, and you're very strong in that. Hear this today. You have huge limitations. And your strengths can become as much a trap as your weaknesses. You don't depend on your ability to reason to build your life because there's going to be some certain things that aren't going to match up with that process. Reason is a good thing, but it's not infallible. Proverbs 16, 25, there's a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it leads to death. 
He's saying, look, you're going to have times when it just seems right that you should make this decision and do that. But if you don't consult for wisdom, if you're not open to my word speaking into your heart, you're going to make some really bad choices. How many times have you made a decision you thought was reasonable? I need to marry this person. I need to get into this business. I need to accept this job offer. I need to uh, make this investment. And if you could go read to it, you would read to it. Because it was a disaster. Because your reason isn't always infallible. You are very flawed in that. You make mistakes. We're being logical. We're not always as logical as we think we are. The most important one out of these ones is this. To avoid, to avoid, is make sure that you avoid emotion when it comes to building in your life. It can't direct your life. And again today, this one's huge. Absolutely huge. Everything about our generation has been developing us into emotional conditioning and responses to life And we're even taken away from the rational approaches. And so now it's an awful lot about just what you feel about something. That makes it right. If it feels right, I do it. If it feels easier, I do it. If it feels like it fits, I do it. If it feels like it makes sense, I do it. If it feels wrong, I don't do it. If I feel like it doesn't fit me, then I don't do it. Imagine taking that route to the absolute truth of God's word. So my forgiveness is whether I feel about it or not, you know. And it's up to you to make me feel right about forgiving you. Or it feels wrong to forgive that person. That is things that is shifting sands. Feelings lie all the time. By the way, you lie to yourself more than you lie to others because your feelings lie to you a lot. They sometimes tell you things are going great when they really aren't. Sometimes your feelings tell you things are are gonna fall apart and they're really not. Feelings just lie. You've you've been in a room and somebody doesn't look at you right and you think, oh, I feel that they're... Feelings are highly unreliable. And if you actually play into that model of shifting sand and building your life upon that, about feelings and emotions driving your agenda of interpreting your world, you're going to spend your life manipulated by moods. And boy, I tell you, you're not a fun person to be around. What gets accomplished in the world today that's of any value is done by men and women who don't feel like doing it. If you build your life simply on emotions, there's a word for it. We've already used it. It's just immaturity. Maturity and wisdom is when you act according to your values, according to your convictions, according to what's right rather than what I feel like doing. Judges 21, 5,000 years ago said this. At that time, there was no king in Israel and people did whatever they felt like doing. 5,000 years, man, this message is still really alive today 
In fact, it's huge, maybe even stronger today than at any other day. At that time, there was no king in Israel and people did whatever they felt like doing. I think to illustrate this, let's, let's, let's take a look at how Hollywood views marriage and how God views marriage. Do you think there might be a little difference? Hollywood's formula for relationships goes like something like this. If you want to be happy in a relationship like marriage, what you do is you find the right person. You fall in love. You fix all your hopes and dreams on that one person for your future fulfillment. If failure occurs, repeat steps one, two, and three. Which they do often. Let's take a look at God's prescription for relationships. Instead of finding the right person, become the right person. You focus on building character in your life. The kind of person that's worthy of marriage. Become the right person. Secondly, God says, instead of falling in love, walk in love. Because love is a choice. It's 100% under your control. You say, I fell out of love. No, you chose to fall out of love because you chose to fall in and you chose to fall out. Love is choice. It's not an emotion. It only creates strong emotions. Love is choice. It's making your problem my problem. It's choosing your need over my need. It's being others centered rather than me centered. So you become the right person and you walk in love. Third, you're going to fix your hope on God and honor him through your relationship. And four, if failure occurs, Repeat step one, two, and three. Could they be different? I don't know how much more different they could be. You want to build your life on the word of God? You may not always even agree with it. You might want to fight it. And the word will tell you it's okay. But truth says it's not. It's not always convenient to build on the word of God. It's not always going to be politically correct. But if God said it, it is true. So from generation to generation, this is the one thing that you want to and must and I hope will pass down is a relationship to truth that makes foundation building rock. There's one thing you can tell your kids in how they need to meet the challenges of the future world is the same thing that you've learned as a Christian is that truth of God never changes. It's rock. The second thing that we do 
Watch his build. Is you have to have to feed on it. You feed on it. It's an interesting word, feed. We spend a lot of time thinking about this word, actually. Uh, my wife, is a, she, she has a huge addiction. I'm about to expose a huge addiction of my wife. The, the huge addiction of my wife is this. Recipes. She goes online and she searches out recipes and poor me, I have to try them. <laughs> Which I do very gladly, of course. The fact is, is that when it comes into feeding ourselves, we put a lot of time and thought into it in our world. But yet, there's a food that Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, which is what? See it? He uses several pictures to illustrate spiritual food. He says that the word of God is like water, it's spiritual food. Like milk, it's spiritual food. Like bread, it's spiritual food. Like meat, it's spiritual life. So that's everything that you're gonna need for sustenance, but you have to be feeding yourself. You do the feeding of yourself. Physical food equals physical strength. Spiritual food equals spiritual strength. When you are in a war of uh, life, whatever it comes, and even within spiritual warfare, which we are told we are in as believers, you need spiritual food so that you are prepared for that. Many times we are given the enemy far too much advantage simply because we are not feeding ourselves to make ourselves strong for the attacks upon us and the things that we must walk through and the temptations that we must face. Colossians 3.16 is a great verse. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it move in. Let it take up residence. Let it inhabit you. Uh, let it be in such a life giving profound way the verse is telling us. So how do we feed ourselves on the word of God? Well, number one, you receive it with your ears. Bible says faith comes through hearing the word of God. I'm glad you're here this morning. Commit yourself to be at church. Commit yourself to expose yourself to the teaching of God's word in a way that can cut through a lot of the mustard and get to your heart. And challenge you in a way that it awakes your faith, exposes you to the great grace of God for change and healing and hope, and at the same time, builds you and brings you alive. Second way is to read it with your eyes. So ears, eyes. Having a, little, having a Bible in your house is not going to bless your life. you got to have the Bible in your heart. The eyes are the window to the Third, you research it with my hands and with my mouth. The hands, writing it down. This is a reference to study. You're not just, you're writing down what 
God has showed you. You're even writing down questions you have that get raised you don't have answers to yet. And you deal with your mouth by talking about the word of God with other believers so that the word of God comes up in conversations. You know, I was reading, this is something that I was reading I didn't quite get. You got a play on this? Or here's something that while I was reading it, it just, boy, wow, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Another way is to reflect on it with my mind. This is just meditation. How many here talk to themselves? Now, let me rephrase that. How many here do not talk to themselves? Oh, good. Do you know what meditation is? It's a lot of talking to yourself. Don't be negative in that meditation. Most of the time, you're really good at negative meditation. What a jerk, what an idiot, I can't believe I said that. What is wrong with me, da, 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 da. Anybody recognize that? Don't raise your hand. Don't elbow your husband, I want you to hear that voice. Make a positive meditation. What's the most positive meditation? God's word, God's voice, God's truth. You say, I don't necessarily like God's word and God's truth because it tells me something that I don't really want to hear. Yeah. Meditate on it. And then what's going to happen is you're going to, in that meditation, find yourself hearing God's voice, not just your own. And God is going to come alongside and say, I know you don't like it. I know you don't want to carry this out. I know you don't want to do that. But you see, we've got to go forward. Those kind of conversations are invaluable. Fifth way, remember it with my heart. This is just memorization, getting it into your heart. It's just putting it down, getting it down. You know, one of the things, I, I want to give you a bit of a picture here. Like, <clears throat> one of the things you have to see with memorization and exposing yourself to the word of God in this way, and then internalizing it, you are building an internal library. How many here are good at sports stats? Don't raise your hand. You built a great library. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that's where you built your library. Like what, what library have you built? Because you've built libraries in your life. You know, what I, you know what a library is, right? Everybody remember what books are? And you say, oh yeah, yeah, that Kindle thing. No. You see, the fact is, is that the library that you build is the library you'll use. The library you don't build, you are dependent on outside sources. Well, I got Google, you know. Yeah, until the next power failure. Until Google doesn't exist anywhere, you say, oh, Google, isn't that eternal? You're going to build the libraries in your life. You already are. Some of you are really good in the entertainment area. You've got libraries where you can just go and access, boom, boom, boom. This is building a library internal that you can access when a friend is talking to you and they're saying, I'm not doing so good. 
And then you get into a conversation and all of a sudden out of that library is coming a resource for them. Or in your own life, when you're hitting up against some of the stuff that's pretty tough in life, the Holy Spirit's drawn on your library and he's bringing it out. And he says, see this out of those books inside? Memorize. Third, now, you don't just build and uh, the third is live. Live by the word of God. This is, the word of God must be your standing, uh, your standard, I should say, of living. Like, this is where you stand, you plant, and, and this, is, this is the filter that filters everything through. It is something in your life that sets the standard by which you judge everything else that will be of value in your life. It goes through that standard. It's the standard by which you make decisions for the things you're facing in life. You gotta base your decisions on something. So it, he's saying you need to build it really on the word of God and it must be the standard by which we live. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly but who meditates on the word of God. What does that mean? Well, if you want to live a blessed life, you don't build your life on the counsel of the world or the way that the world would think naturally on these subjects that you're facing. I was talking to somebody recently, who, who they're, they're a Christian man, a good friend of mine, and he was telling about a, a gentleman in his life right now, and he's aged, I think he's around like late, late 70s or whatever, and he's been diagnosed with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. He's not a believer. And of course, now his mind is going to, well, I'm just gonna just euthanize. Like the filter is, well, I don't wanna go through the pain, I don't wanna go through the embarrassment, I don't wanna go through. Is that the standard? I think the standard's bigger than that. I think the standard is what does God's word say about this? This great gift of life that he's given you. It's easy to excuse the things when you go by the world's standards, but he is telling us, if you're gonna live by my word, it is not going to put you in the most favorable condition with the world's counsel or their expectations or even make everything just comfortable for you. But I promise you, you will be rich in me. I went through a, uh, with, with another man that, that uh, ended up dying, of course. He was in the process. And I know that he had considered the same choice, but he's a Christian man. And he came to the declaration, even though this would be the way to take sort of that easy way out, he said, here's what I came to the conclusion on. That my life is first God's, not mine. 
He died this year. You want to get the counsel of the world on this? Just turn on your TV, watch a movie, read the print media, look at what goes on around in the world around you. That's the values of the world. If that's going to be your standard, folks, don't be surprised when you are in a place of confusion and darkness around great subjects. Psalm 119, says, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Say, I put it here. For what reason? So I wouldn't sin against you. It's not about you becoming a good, good, goody two-shoes little Christian. It's so that your life is preserved from sin and destruction. Get it in your heart. Build a library. Jesus was tempted three times by the devil and each time he used the same weapon, one weapon, only one weapon to defend himself. He said, it is written. I can make this easy for you. You don't have to go to the cross. Come on. This is craziness. Let's just make peace this way. You bow down to me. I give you what you really, you know, what seems to be what you really want here. I'll give it all back to you. I'll sign it over. It is written. Why are you not making this easy? Prove who you are. It is written. Those are powerful words. It is written. He's saying, what's he say? He's talking about the same Bible you're reading. And he is saying, I will not choose this or that or this because it is Written. Wow. That's the standard which, by which we live our lives. For I grow through it. The Bible is often referred to as a seed. It's planted in our heart. And so it is meant to be something that grows. If it's a seed, it grows. And I'm not talking about, you know, um, taking this whole thing and just, and then I'm talking about those seeds that God gives you, those little truths as you're reading. I really love the way Dalen put it. I read until something jumps off the page. Oh man, Dalen, you're just, you're reading my tea leaves on this one. That's how I do my reading. I just read until something jumps. Whoa. It's meant to grow. Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes. Being receptive. That's the action. We must be receptive. In Luke 8, there's a story that Jesus told called the parable of the soils. The farmer goes out, he sows seed. It falls on four different kinds of soil. It gets four different kinds of results. These are four attitudes that you can have toward the Bible. And it's not four different people. It's four different attitudes that you can have in one given day. Just change the subject. 
Because there's going to be subjects that come up in your life that it is written, but you have a struggle with what is written, and you have a hardness to what is written on that. But if it's on another thing, it's, oh yeah, that's a good thing. And that's where it will bear some fruit in your life. But over here, no. And that's the lack of integration or integrity. He is identifying four attitudes you can have all in the same day towards different truths that come your way. The first is a hardened soil. It's a closed mind. Closed mind. I'm not, I don't want to hear it. I'm not hearing it. I can't even hear it. You can talk all you want, but I can't hear it. I'm not going there. Sometimes we don't even give God the chance to talk to us. Our minds are made up. Our hearts are hardened. I don't want to hear what you have to say about this. I don't want to hear what you want to say about my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to hear what you have to say about my debts. I don't want to hear what you have to say about my sex. I don't want to hear what you say about this or that. I've already got my mind made up. That's hard soil. You're saying God, in this area of truth. No penetration. The enemy comes and just takes that really quick. It's a closed mind. It's a narrow footpath. It's hardened. Narrow-mindedness, hard-minded. Second, what do you do, by the way? You cultivate it. Cultivate. Break up the soil. If you got that going on in certain subjects of your life with God, certain truths have no penetration for you anymore, get the plow out. Cultivate. Second kind of soil, throw seed on is shallow soil. Superficial. Superficial mind. Sometimes we just react superficially to truth, to the scripture. We go to church, say that was a good sermon. I'm really trying to get beyond that superficiality today with you to wind up this thing. And you say that was good. But you've forgotten it by the time you get to the parking lot because, you know, you got cut off again. <laughs> What's your action step? You might ought to make time for God's word. You don't just fit it in. It's on the schedule, top of the schedule. Until that flips in your life, you basically are somebody that is gonna have nothing but a superficial response to truth. Third, soil with weeds. This soil with weeds represents preoccupation. Your mind is preoccupied. The seed God gives is the truth and he plants it in your mind and your heart and, he, and, and you go, yeah, wow, fantastic. Okay, now let it sit there. It starts growing. It's got some growth, but it's also getting choked at the same time. It never bears the fruit it could. It never actually goes anywhere. The plant itself is in peril, but at least I got a plant. So that's all I really want from this thing. All I really want is a plant. It's just one of the plants in my life, though. I got lots of plants. I, I just choke this thing out. So I got all kinds of plants in my garden and there are, a lot of them are all weeds, so they just choke out anything that is of truth all circuits are busy that's why I can't hear God what do I do you eliminate the distractions you eliminate the weeds because there's only one issue weeds the other is not the issue. You don't fertilize even that one good, but I'm gonna fertilize that one good plant in there. I'm gonna, and, but the weeds are allowed. You gotta, you gotta take out the weeds. 
The biggest sin of Christians is not drug addiction, immorality, any evil or bad and nasty things, you know. It's not all that. The biggest sin, the biggest sin of Christians is really, really simple. It's really, really simple. Too busy. We fill our lives with things that really aren't that important. And we wonder why our lives lack life. Or our life lacks life. Finally, Jesus says there's a fourth kind of soil. It's a willing mind. It's a good soil where the seed of truth gets planted in your brain, your heart. It's allowed to grow, develop. It gets roots. It gets fruit. It's the willing mind. A willing mind says, God, I'm willing to learn. I'm teachable. I'm humble. I don't think I know it all. So God, teach me. You know, the funny thing I've learned through the years is the more you learn about God's word and it gets to this soil, the more that humility and humbleness fills your heart. What's your action step? Cooperate with what God says. That's where faith comes in. And lastly, I've got to act on this. Or fifth, I've got to act on it. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. I don't, even, I, don't, I don't even need to add to that. I mean, it's so straight and plain. Let me just throw the few phrases in like this. You know, you only believe the part of the Bible that you do. We've taught you in this last six weeks how to apply personal application. You personalize it, paraphrase it, probe it, pronounce it. All the different ways we worked out on Wednesday nights. One last thing. I must trust in it. God's word. I build on it. I feed on it. I live by it. I grow it. I act on it. And then I live it out by trusting in it. I trust it. I trust it more than anything. I, why, why can I trust? We did a whole first sermon on that. God is never going to guide you in the wrong direction. People will guide you in the wrong direction. Well-meaning people, dear friends, will give you advice that can be very wrong. God will never do that. You can always trust him. If he tells you to go that way, you better go that way. Because it's always going to be the right way. It's going to be the best way. But it will be often the hard way. It will be a challenge way. But it is always the best way. In fact, it's the only way to produce life that you are looking for in every aspect of your life. Psalm 119, 105, our memory verse this week is your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet, my journey, and a light for my path, where I'm going. Your word's leading me forward. Notice it doesn't say your word is a sure way to get back. No, it's a clear way to go forward. Sometimes we're in places that are pretty dark. I don't have the slightest idea what I'm supposed to do right now in this relationship. I don't have the slightest idea what, whether I should accept this job offer. I don't have the slightest idea whether I, where I should invest next. I don't have the slightest idea what I'm supposed to be really focusing on in the next five years. I'm confused. No, you're in the dark. When you're in the dark, I don't know about you, but there's one simple action that we take. What is that action? 
just flip on the light. Where is the light? The, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp for my path. That's a very powerful portion. Are you ready? We're going to do that verse together. Psalm 119, I'll say it one more time, then you're going to be doing it with me. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp for my path. So let's start with the reference, the address. Ready? What is it? Okay, ready? First phrase. Second phrase. Address. It's so simple. But it's so profound. Watch this little video clip, and then I'm gonna give you one last scripture and focus point to wind up this campaign. I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great in theory but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if? What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember there is Jesus he gives us a new life every day is new every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise he takes our canvases our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings secrets tragedies and embarrassments and he helps them make sense when I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. So as we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that he will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece. His masterpiece. We're going back to John 1, 1 to 5 to finish off. And I have a few questions. In John 1, 1 to 5 in the CEV, we'll call it CEB version. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God, just stay right with me. See, number one reason why you need to be in your Bibles, your Bible needs to be in you, is simply because the Bible is the number one way that Jesus reveals himself. Jesus is revealed 
through the Bible. The Holy Spirit uses that. No other way to make him plain and clear. You want to know Jesus? Know his word. In the beginning was the word. In fact, he's called the word. So in essence, you're reading Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He is, the word was, go back, sorry, stick with two, go to two. The word was with God in the beginning. It always has been. It was before your life, it was before any life, it was before any of the creation. There was Jesus. Third, everything came into being through the word. Did you know that God created through Jesus? Came in through the word. Everything created. And without the word, nothing came into being, including you. So what came into being? Next, through the word was life. You want life? You need things to come alive in your life? It's the word. For the, through the word was life, and the life was the light for all people. Next, the light shines in the darkness. Yours, mine, the world's. And the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. Something curious about this as we close. Jesus, he's saying, is the word. The word is God. Existed long before anything else existed. In fact, through him all things exist. And he's written about over and over. We know all the prophecies that preceded his first coming. And yet, Though there was an expectation, they missed Jesus. How could the scholars and the theologians of that day miss Jesus? How could you? It's all written so plainly. It's there. I mean, it's, you can read it in Isaiah. You can read it in Micah. You can read it. It's there. It's right there. How did they miss him? Same way that you can miss them today. The word stays on the page and it never gets into your life. And that's up to you and up to me. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Father, we don't want to miss Jesus. We don't want to miss him when we go through the confusing things of life. We want to miss Jesus when we're in relational struggle, trauma, or definition. We don't want to miss Jesus when we are in the economic challenges. We don't want to miss Jesus when we are going through personal needed change and growth and tough stuff internalized inside. We don't want to miss Jesus when we are struggling with the physical body that we have. We don't want to miss 
Jesus, Lord, when our relationships with one another and get trapped into, the, in, into just the world's way of doing relationships. You break and then go back and find somebody new. Father, we don't want to miss Jesus in these kinds of friendships of life. We don't want to miss Jesus in the opportunities or the purpose of life. We don't want to miss Jesus. So, Father, with one last exclamation mark, I ask that your Holy Spirit put a big exclamation mark in our hearts at this moment. We need your word in our hearts, in our minds, integrated into our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible, which is the clear word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.